0: Well, it's good to be with you this morning after a 1 week absence. Uh, I want to thank Curtis for preaching last Sunday, encouraging us to get out of the boat. Um, In true Curtis fashion, it wasn't a real long message, but it was a really good message. If you didn't get a chance to hear that, I want to encourage you to go to the website and listen to the podcast. Um, It's only a 20-minute investment of your time, but it'd be 20 minutes really well spent. So make sure that if you haven't heard what Curtis had to say last week, that you take the opportunity to do that. I also want to give a Project 9K update for those of you who don't know Project 9K is our Bible reading challenge at Netherwood Park. We have challenged ourselves to read at least 9,000 books of the Bible in 2017. And to date, we have read 1,116 books of the Bible. So we're well on our way. Uh, The numbers keep coming in. You guys are doing a great job of immersing yourself in God's Word. So keep it up. I um, look forward to the, the time that I'll be able to stand up here, probably late in December, and say we reached our goal. We're at 9,000 books of the Bible. So again, good job. As we get ready to study more out of John's Gospel, let's pray. Father, our prayer this morning is a simple prayer. Father, I pray that you will make me a servant, and that you'll make me like Jesus And, Father, I pray that you will make us servants and make us like Jesus. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, the one who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. So we are in John's Gospel. We're in the middle of a series preaching our way through it. Today we'll be in chapter 13 of John's Gospel. This would be a good time to turn there. John chapter 13. So let's set the stage. It's an exciting time to be a follower of Jesus Christ. People are being healed. Crowds are being fed. A blind man has been given his sight and a dead man has been called out of the tomb. And more and more people are coming to believe in Jesus. And the crowds are growing larger and excitement fills the air. Passover is just around the corner. Large crowds have gathered in Jerusalem. And when they hear that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, we read in John chapter 12 and verse 13 that the crowd took palm branches and they went out to meet Jesus. And they were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. It's a triumphant time to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This feels like a coronation parade. With the shouts, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna! Blessed is the king of Israel. It's a triumphant time, but those triumphant feelings keep getting tempered with cold, hard doses of reality. You see, it's also a confusing time to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a confusing time because not only are those crowds growing larger, so too is the opposition to Jesus. Lazarus seems to have been the tipping point for the Jewish religious leaders Now they not only have to deal with a troublesome rabbi who heals the sick and feeds the crowds and gives sight, they also have to deal with a troublesome rabbi who calls a dead man out of the tomb. And they also have to deal with the fact that Lazarus, the very proof of that miracle, is walking and talking among the people even today. Lazarus has become a bit of a celebrity, as you can understand. So the Jewish religious leaders have to deal with the fact that they appear to be losing control of the people, those very people who are shouting, Hosanna. So the leaders continue to plot. They continue to scheme. They continue to plan. And not only are they scheming to kill Jesus, they're also planning on killing Lazarus. They want to kill Lazarus because, as John says, on account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and they were putting their faith in him. So it's not only a confusing time to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it's also a scary time to be a follower of Jesus and to add to the confusion and to add to the fear. Not only are the religious leaders plotting to kill Jesus, Jesus seems to be talking about his own death. He starts making confusing references to his own death. He talks about being lifted up from this earth. He talks about the importance of a seed dying so it can produce more seeds. And he comes right out and tells the crowd that they're only going to have his light for a little while longer. So excitement and confusion and fear... And death, they're all in the air. Sure, the crowds are shouting, Hosanna. But the religious leaders are plotting to kill Jesus and to kill Lazarus. And Jesus is dropping hints about his own death. And how about the apostles? How about his closest followers? They're right there. They're right in the middle of all of this. They're in the middle of the excitement. They're in the middle of the confusion. They're in the middle of the fear and they're in the middle of the danger. And in many ways, the apostles respond just like we would hope they would. They say and they seem to do the right things. You'll remember that when Jesus decided to head back into the danger zone of Jerusalem to raise Lazarus from the dead, Thomas spoke for all the apostles when he said, Let's go with him. Let's go also that we may die with him. And go they did. They followed Jesus right back into the danger of Jerusalem. And a bit later on we'll read that Peter gives voice to his convictions when he tells Jesus very boldly that he is prepared to lay down his life for Jesus. The apostles are prepared to make that ultimate sacrifice To lay down their life for their leader. To lay down their life for their teacher. To lay down their life for their Lord and their master. And I have no doubt that if it comes down to it, if it's necessary, these men are prepared to die with Jesus. And they're prepared to die for Jesus. They're ready to fight for Jesus which is really kind of interesting to think about. Because while all of this is going on, all the excitement and all the confusion and all the fear, while all that's going on, the apostles have been fighting. Only they haven't been fighting for Jesus and they haven't been fighting against his enemies. Instead, they've been fighting for themselves and they've been fighting against each other. John doesn't record it in his gospel, but each of the other three gospels tell us that while these events are going on, Jesus' inner circle, his apostles, they've been having an argument about identity. They've been having a fight about who's going to be who in the new kingdom, where people are going to be, where they're going to fit in in the new kingdom. After all, if there's going to be a kingdom, and if there's going to be a king, we have to establish the hierarchy, right? We have to know where everybody fits in. Somebody has to be his right-hand man, and you know, when I think about it, it might as well be me. And someone has to be his left-hand man, and you know, it might as well be my brother, And someone has to be the 12th man, and, you know, that's probably you. You're probably best qualified for that position. That's a familiar battle, right? That battle for power, that battle for position, that battle for titles. And so that battle, that fight, that argument is also in the air. As Jesus and his apostles get ready to have dinner together and you need to know this dinner is going to get off to an awkward start we've all been to awkward dinners right think about some of the awkward dinners that you've been to those awkward dinners where no one is really sure where they're supposed to sit and so everybody just kind of stands around and waits for someone to make the first move Or how about that awkward dinner when you show up and you look around and you realize that you're the only one who brought your kids to dinner? Or how about that awkward time at the restaurant where that person that you thought was going to pick up the check, Jack, um, doesn't pick up the check. It's an awkward time. And this is one of those dinners Because at this dinner with Jesus and his apostles, there's a very practical problem. And it's an extremely awkward time. You see, before dinner is served, feet need to be washed. Now that probably sounds strange to us, right? I grew up being admonished to wash my hands before dinner. I can't ever remember being told to wash my feet before dinner. We're used to hearing that hands need to be washed before dinner, but we would never think about the need to have clean feet when we go to the dinner table. But that's because we don't recline at the dinner table. We don't worry about clean feet at the dinner table because our neighbor's dirty feet aren't in our faces when we're at the dinner table. See, for them at that time, feet needed to be washed before dinner. It wasn't just proper protocol. It wasn't just some kind of ceremony. It was proper hygiene. No one wants to eat dinner with their neighbor's filthy, stinky feet in their face. And in that culture, you don't wash your own feet. Someone is assigned to wash everyone's feet. Someone is assigned to be the foot washer. And as you might guess, foot washer wasn't a coveted job. It wasn't a coveted position or a coveted title. In fact, it was a job that was typically assigned to a slave, and not just any slave, but to the least of all the slaves. So why is this dinner getting off to an awkward start? Well, it's getting off to an awkward start because it's dinner time and feet need to be washed and there isn't a slave available to wash them. Why is it awkward? Well, it's awkward because there are these unspoken questions that are running through the apostles' minds. And the first unspoken question they have is this Who's going to take the slave spot? They're all wondering who's going to perform this most menial and this most unpleasant job. So we can feel the tension and the awkwardness build as they wait to see who's going to take the place of a slave. Who's going to wash the stinky feet? And the second unspoken question that's running through their minds has to do with those internal battles they've been having. The internal battle that's been going on among the apostles. Remember, they've been arguing about power. They've been jockeying for position. They've been fighting about who deserves the prime spots in Jesus' coming kingdom. So why are things awkward? Well, things are awkward because the second unspoken question that's running through everybody's mind is this. Which one of us is going to concede this who is greatest argument? Because the person who gives in and washes the feet is also giving up on that fight. By taking the slave spot, they're taking the lowest spot. And they're admitting that they are not the greatest in the kingdom. They're not going to be on Jesus' right hand or on his left hand they're going to be down with the stinky feet. So it's dinner time. Things are tense and things are awkward as we all wait for somebody to wash the dirty feet. And as we're waiting, we're also wondering, because we have a question of our own. See, we're wondering if any of these men who say that they're willing to die for Jesus, we're wondering... Are any of those men willing to get on their knees for Jesus? Are any of those men willing to get on their knees for each other? Let's find out the answers to those questions. John chapter 13 and verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. And Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus said, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter you will never wash my feet and Jesus answered unless I wash you you have no part with me then Lord Simon Peter replied not just my feet but my hands and my head as well Jesus answered a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet his whole body is clean and you are clean though not every one of you For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's let that sink in for a moment. And as we let that sink in, let's take a moment to reflect on what John says that Jesus did when he got down on his knees and washed the dirty feet. John says that Jesus Jesus showed them the full extent of his love by washing their feet. He showed them the full extent of his love, the entirety of his love, the magnitude of his love, the depth of his love he got down on his knees and he washed their stinky feet. John says Jesus showed the magnitude of his love by performing a simple act of service. Jesus doesn't show how much he loves them by doing some great thing. He shows them how much he loves them by his willingness to do this small thing. Jesus shows them how much he loves them by turning everything upside down. And when he does that, he shows the apostles that they have it all wrong. And he shows us that we often have it all wrong too. See, the apostles thought, and we often think, that we show the extent of our love by professing our willingness to make the ultimate sacrifice. By declaring that we're willing to lay down our lives for others. Often we're like Thomas and Peter. We're willing to die to show our love, right? Think about the people that you truly love. We're quick to say to them, and we mean it, I'll die for you. We're quick to say to them, and we mean it, I'd take a bullet for you. We would do that. But are we willing to love extensively? deeply by daily laying down our lives to make sacrifices for each other i would die for you sweetheart but don't expect me to load the dishwasher i'd take a bullet for you my love but don't expect me to help the kids with a homework See, it's really striking to me that the Bible says that Jesus showed the full extent of his love before he went to the cross. He showed the full extent of his love when he offered this impractical and this humiliating solution to this dirty feet problem. This is a very impractical solution. You see, the apostles may not have known who should wash the feet, but they knew who should not wash the feet. Not the one who healed the sick, not the one who fed the crowds, not the one who gave sight to the blind man, not the one who called Lazarus out of the tomb, not the one who was greeted with shouts of Hosanna, not the one with all the power. Everybody knew that Jesus shouldn't take the slave spot. So imagine how humiliating it had to be for those men, those men who were hungering for power. How humiliating it was with the one who possessed all power, disrobed, and washed the feet Imagine how humiliating it had to be for the disciples and the students when their Lord and master and teacher was the one who got down on his knees and washed the feet. And how about that whole, who is the greatest argument? Imagine how humiliating it was to see Jesus completely change that argument, to completely nullify that argument. To nullify the argument when Jesus is the one who takes the slave spot and washes the filthy feet. Imagine how humiliating it was to watch Jesus be the one take the slave spot. It's like finding out that Superman's been dropping by to scrub your toilets because everyone in your house thinks that that job is beneath them. I love this picture. Everybody knows that Superman doesn't scrub toilets, right? Superman saves the day. And everybody thought they knew that Jesus doesn't wash stinky feet. Jesus saves the world. But in God's kingdom, it turns out that Jesus saves the world and he washes stinky feet. It turns out that in God's kingdom, Jesus came to save and to serve. It turns out that in God's kingdom, Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice by going to the cross and laying down his life for his friends. And Jesus laid down his life daily by going to his knees to serve his friends' needs. And he says to us, he says to his followers, you should do exactly as I have done. Jesus tells us that we should also show the full extent of our love by going to our knees and serving each other's needs. Jesus tells us that we should also show the full extent of our love by being willing to take the slave spot. So, how do we do that? How do we take the slave spot? How do we show extensive, loving service to each other? Well, it begins with us emptying ourselves. You know, we can't be full of ourselves. We can't be full of ourselves and serve like Jesus served. We have to empty ourselves of power, empty ourselves of position, empty ourselves of authority. There can't be supermen and superwomen in the church. There can only be servants in the church. It's not a big red S, it's a little servant S. There can't be any lords and masters in the church. There can only be servants in the church. That has to be our identity. Our service has to come from the inside out. It has to be a natural outgrowth, a natural reflection of who we are. See, we serve not because we're told to serve, we serve because that's who we are. Servants serve, servants know their identity. Servants know who they are. Servants know where they are going. Who am I? I'm a servant. Where am I going? Well, I'm following Jesus to the cross. And I'm following Jesus to the cross on my knees. On my knees in service. See, when that becomes our identity when I identify myself as a servant, when we do that, our entire perspective changes. Everything looks different. See, the world looks different when you spend your life on your knees. You look at the world in a different way. When we spend our lives on our knees, there are no more tense and awkward moments waiting to see who's going to take the slave spot. There's no more tense and awkward moments because we're already in the slave spot. And when we're on our knees, we simply ask, what do others need? What do others need? And we ask, how can I serve them? How can I serve them? See, when we spend our lives on our knees, our Our identity no longer comes from how much of this world we control. Instead, our identity comes from how much of this world we serve. Our identity comes from showing the full extent of our love. We show the full extent of our love on our knees. See, if we're going to follow Jesus Christ all the way to the cross, we must follow him there on our knees. So I just want to end by asking ourselves are we really on our knees? Is that really our identity? Are we really servants? So I just want us to take just a moment. I want each of us to think about the people in our lives that we're the closest to, that we love the most. Our spouses, our children, our parents, maybe our siblings, our brothers and sisters here in Christ, the people that we love the most. And Think about those people. And as you're thinking about them, think about the depth of your love for them. The extent of your love for them. Think about the full extent of your love. You would die for them, wouldn't you? You would literally die for them. Now picture their faces and picture yourself saying to them, I would die for you. But don't stop there. Ask yourselves, but am I willing to get down on my knees for you? Your conversation might go something like this. I would die for you, but am I willing to take out the trash for you? I would die for you, but am I willing to come home on time for you? Or maybe I would die for you, but am I willing to leave my computer and go outside and play catch with you? Or maybe it's, I would die for you, but am I willing to admit that I'm wrong for you? You fill in the blank. I would die for you, but am I willing to for you? I would die for you but am I willing to every day do all of those little things to serve you I have no doubt we would die for each other and my hope and my dream and my prayer is that we're also willing to get down on our knees for each other let's pray Father, send us to our knees. Father, make us servants. Father, make us like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. In John chapter 13 and verse 34, Jesus says, A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let's be people who love each other. Let's be people who go down to our knees for each other. Let's stand. Let's sing. Say like a